0: Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is not today. Hi.
1: Hey, how's it going? Hey, hey.
0: Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. It's good. How are you?
1: I'm great. Um, This week we will be reunited. I'm very excited. Um, It's happening Sunday. Yeah, it's It's been like too long. It's been like, like
0: a yeah, like almost a month. It's kind of crazy because we did the whole long distance thing for for a year. And this would be like the typical amount of time in between, like when we'd see each other. So like, it kind of feels like we're long distance again, almost. But yeah, sad. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to, to coming to Michigan going
1: to be exciting yeah, yeah. amen and, amen oh <laughs> jesus christ and it's just like <laughs> we're, we're still recording remote and like i don't know there's just like a little bit of delay and i feel like we're talking you over each other but it's fine um the other exciting thing for you this week is that you get to put on nails which you never <laughs> get to do
0: uh, that? because
1: you're a bartender <laughs> that
0: is true yeah every time i go on vacation i tend to do little press on nails because i have to keep my nails clean when i work so that's that's true thank you for pointing that out that's good
1: <laughs> that's very good yeah what that's color good. are you doing
0: uh uh probably blue i don't know wow
1: very maybe uh, white <laughs> very adventurous
0: <laughs> very uh, exciting conversation on the podcast this uh this episode <laughs> Oh right, well, man! But, what's the
1: story? You keep building it up. I want to know what it is. Yeah, I mean,
0: you don't know anything about it, but this is a very intense story. I just, I want to say that before we jump in. Um, just, uh, I guess, a couple little trigger warnings. I mean, this does um, have to do with a rape and it is very violent. Um, so if that's not something you feel comfortable listening to this week, that's totally understandable. Just come back next week. We'll talk about something else. But yeah, so I guess let's let's jump in, shall we? I guess so. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) Um, So, okay. So this week we are going to be talking about Alison Botha. And um, my sources for this episode is the movie, it's kind of like a movie documentary that um, Alison herself actually made. Um, And it's called Alison, which is very fitting. Um, It was directed by Uga Carlini. And I also got some information from a, a YouTube video from the channel uh, This Is Monsters. Wait, so, so she,
1: she made this? The movie? She, she made the movie.
0: Yeah, she's like in it. It's, it's kind of like half documentary, half reenactment. So she's like talking in it as they like, you know, show what happens. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's intense. To yes. To relive that? Wow. I don't know. Maybe it helped her process it, but...
0: Well, she's an incredible, incredible woman and she you know, has done a lot of public speaking and all that stuff. And we'll we'll get into that later. But but yeah, I mean, to say that this woman is strong is an absolute understatement. So yeah, let's, let's just tell you about it, shall we? So Allison lived in the hamlet of Port Elizabeth in South Africa and in 1994 she was 27 years old. She didn't really know what she wanted to do with her life at that time and she didn't really have any great career plan. Um, and even as a child she never had any really great dreams or any idea of what she wanted to be specifically. She was the quote head girl at the Collegiate Girls High School so she was a good student and after graduating, she studied in a secretarial school for about a year. But this was really just something that she felt like it was something to fall back on. It wasn't anything she was super interested in. It was just like, this is what I can do, I guess. Um, And after school, she spent four years traveling before returning back home. Her mother, Claire, was obviously relieved when she finally did come home because, you know, four years traveling is a long time. But at home, Allison began working as an insurance broker. And on December eighteenth, 1994, it was a perfect summer day. She spent it on the beach with her friends. And after leaving the beach, they all went back to Allison's place where they ordered pizza and played games. And after everything had wrapped up for the evening, Allison offered one of her friends a ride home. That way she didn't have to walk home in the dark. So, Allison drove her friend home and her laundry actually happened to be at her friend's house. So she picked up her laundry and then she drove home with her windows down. When she got back to her apartment, she noticed that the parking spot that she had previously been in was now taken. So she had to park a little bit further down the road. And when she parked, she started looking for something in the back of her car when a young man with blonde hair appeared at her driver's side window. And he put a knife to Allison's throat and said, move over or I'll kill you, which is something you never want to hear. So at that time, Allison never really locked her car doors. So the man just kind of opened the door and got in and she moved over to the passenger seat, which is something that I feel is just so scary, like as a young woman. I mean, it's just, I don't know, I feel like as a young woman, especially today, I've you're told so often to like always lock your doors like never sit in your car like always be super aware and those things are so important but like you hear something like this where she literally just parked she's at her apartment and like yes her doors were unlocked which isn't great but it's just it's it can happen so quickly and you really never think about it but yeah. i mean you do think about it but like you know you never think it's going to happen to you you know right
1: yeah and i was like this happened extremely quick so like literally within what five to ten seconds her entire reality has just shifted yes and he it's... just he just literally waltzes right into her car and now he's driving
0: yeah yeah all allison he had to do said...
1: was to have a knife he didn't even need a gun
0: no yeah he just had a knife on him and he uh, and her window was open so he he held the knife to her neck so that's why she let him in because he was able to just like hold a knife to her neck so allison said that she didn't jump out of the car at that time because she didn't want to believe that the worst was happening, um, so she chose to believe the best. And I think that was just kind of her personality. Like, she she always saw the good in people, and she, you know, was very positive and, you know, all this stuff. So when this was happening, I don't know if she was necessarily in denial that she was in danger, but I think she just wanted to believe that the best possible outcome in this shitty situation was going to happen, you know?
1: Yeah, and I mean, how could you process that that quickly? exactly that's super yeah yeah.
0: so the man told her that he didn't want to hurt her and he said that he just wanted to use her car for about an hour and he told her that his name was clinton and he asked her if she had a boyfriend which this was kind of problematic because it gave allison kind of a false sense of security in a way because you know he's he's like i'm not gonna hurt you i'm just gonna you know i just want to use your car like let's let's have a little small talk kind of thing Um, So this definitely like disarmed Allison, which is just even more tragic. So that's when they pulled the car over because they were driving for a little while and he pulled the car over and then another man got into the back of the car. And as they were pulling away, Allison kind of looked into the rearview mirror back at this man and caught his eyes. And that's when her sense of security completely vanished and turned into sheer terror, because she said when she looked into his eyes, all she saw was dead, cold evil. It was in that moment that it finally dawned on her that she wouldn't be going home. And they drove for a while and were now driving outside of the city. And they passed, you know, the last bit of streetlights and any sort of bit of hope that Allison was holding on to was now gone. They drove into the darkness, and finally, the car came to a stop in the middle of nowhere. The man who called himself Clinton stopped the car, and the first thing he said to Allison was, ''Are you going to fight?''
1: Oh my god.
0: After that, both of the men raped Allison. Obviously, I'm not going to go into the details there because it's just not necessary, but during that, Allison did find out that the man who called himself Clinton was actually named Franz, and the other man was named Tienz. After raping her, Tienz started choking her, and she managed to say, please don't kill me. His response to her was just, sorry, and he kind of shrugged his shoulders like his hands were tied kind of a thing.
1: What the fuck? Sorry? Yeah,
0: yeah he's like, Sorry. Not that he cares at all because he's pure evil, but... Yeah,
1: what the fuck? Like, this is over my head.
0: Yeah, she blacked out because of this, because of, you know, him choking her. And when she woke up, she was being stabbed in the abdomen and lower pubic area. She was stabbed in excess of 37 times. When Tien's noticed that Allison's leg had twitched after, you know, being stabbed 37 times... And she was still alive. After that, he began cutting her throat. His arms moved repeatedly back and forth and he slashed her throat about 17 times. At the very least, 17.
1: How is she still alive? I'm sorry. 17 times?
0: Yeah, she was stabbed 37 times and her, her throat was cut at least 17 times.
1: I, how do you... I just don't even understand yeah. how she's alive. I mean,
0: it's absolutely horrifying and extremely violent and... The stabbing at least was something to do with just a pure hatred of women because he was stabbing her in her like reproductive like area, you know, like that is that is a sign of just a hatred of women to, like, the highest degree, you know? Yeah. And that, that like, was, I think, confirmed for him. Like, he just is an evil, evil person, and he... I, I don't know. I don't really know what else to say about that, but it's horrifying and violent and terrible, and it's absolutely a miracle that she's still alive, and we're going to get into everything else because, I mean, we're not even a quarter of the way through the story. So... Oh, no. Allison, who was still conscious after that, which is insane saw their feet getting smaller and smaller as they walked back to the car and they got into her car and they threw her clothes out of the window as they drove away. So they're like, she's dead. That's it. They just drive away. Allison, at this point couldn't feel any pain, but something she did experience was having to listen to the sound of her own breathing through her severed windpipe. Her, trachea had been completely severed and she was actually breathing through a hole that was just above her collarbone she wasn't breathing through her like you know her trachea and her mouth it was like coming through a hole in her in her chest
1: oh my god like the like smokers do like really i mean smokers who have I guess for hole but like yeah oh my god
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess for lack of a better image, like, that kind of a thing. Like, it was through a slit in her throat, like, at the top of her chest.
1: Way more massive.
0: Well, yes. Yeah, definitely. It was a horrifying sound. It was kind of, you know, gurgly, because there was also blood and, like, things like that. And it led her to this overwhelming feeling of sadness when it dawned on her that she was injured beyond hope, and she was dying. After that, Allison experienced the sensation of leaving her own body. And she talks about this in her documentary, and there's, you know, obviously a reenactment of this scene. But she said that she completely was kind of like floating over her body and looking down at herself, lay there on the ground. And she said she remembers looking down at herself and realizing that the noise she was hearing of her breathing had stopped. And as she was looking down at herself, she remembers realizing that the noise had stopped and she felt like she was a good distance away from herself, but not too far that she couldn't go back. She said she knew that she had a choice and either way, she knew things were going to be okay. So I guess her spirit or her, I, I don't i don't know exactly, is, is hovering over her body, looking down at her body on the ground and she knows that she can either choose to go you know i guess up or she can choose to die or she can choose to go back down to her body and like fight to live
1: oh it's like chills but she that's yeah. incredible that she like felt that choice dawn on her while she was yeah. having this like out of body experience
0: yeah and she said this is like a complete memory like this she fully had this experience no, at it's, least it's in like her in her head in, you know
1: yeah it's like burned into her memory yeah wow So she chose life.
0: Yeah, and and that's when she realized that she wanted to go back because she wanted a chance to live her life better. That's what she said. And once she was back in her body, she again heard the terrible noise of her breathing again. So this whole time that she's like above her body, she doesn't hear herself breathing. And then now that she chose to go back, she hears it again. She didn't know what to do at this point, but she knew that she never wanted something like this to ever happen to anyone ever again. So in the sand next to her, she wrote with her finger, Franz and Tien's, in the hope that they'd be caught and sent to jail. And then underneath their names, she wrote in the sand with her finger, I love mom. Whew, you know?
1: <laughs> this, yeah, this is intense. No shit. Yeah. I um, love mom.
0: She said that she wrote that because she didn't want her mom to think that she didn't, like, fight, you know? She was, wanted to show her that she did fight. And after that, Allison decided that she'd use all of the energy she had left to try and crawl to get help. But as she tried to move, she felt something. And before I get into this bit, like, the next, I don't know, minute or so is gonna be pretty graphic um again if you want to skip forward go ahead if you want to hear what happens let's let's do that so as she tried to move she felt something wet at her legs and that's when she realized that her intestines were outside of her body and they had completely disemboweled her Um, but her denim shirt was nearby and she was able to grab it and use it to kind of hold everything in with one hand she was then able to start crawling over the sand and the ash and the cut glass but after a few seconds she realized that this one-handed crawling that was going on was going to be too awkward and she had to do better. So she managed to actually hoist herself, herself up onto her feet with whatever energy she had left and everything went black in that moment all she could see was a bunch of little stars. And she put her hand up to her throat and her entire hand went into her injury. Franz and Tienz had severed the muscle in her neck that held her head upright. And she realized that her head had actually fallen back and was resting between her shoulder blades. Which is a horrifying image that I didn't even know that was possible. Um,
1: how How is she not paralyzed or like broken or, like broken her neck?
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking like, how is her spine still okay? But it, apparently it was just the muscle that was severed, and that's why her head was able to go back and it didn't affect her spine, oh. thankfully.
1: I don't know how you're like, <laughs> like able to, because you've researched it. You're like able to give this like just verbatim description, but I'm just like, this is literally you could not. I don't know, like I feel like you couldn't write a better horror scene than this.
0: Yeah, Jesus I mean, Christ. When I when I first saw this or heard of this story, I had to stop every five minutes because it's just it's horrifying. Too much. It's it's it doesn't make sense. Like it it doesn't feel real but this is a real thing that happened to a real woman who was alive it's crazy
1: yeah sorry Continue.
0: no no it's okay it's okay i like i i feel the same way i mean the only reason i can sit here and say it like that is because i've been researching it for the past three days and like you know what i mean like it's mm-hmm. i don't mm-hmm. know it's, it's just crazy so anyway that's the reality of her situation right now so she literally had to take she took her hand and literally had to pull her head up by her hair and hold it on top of her head or on top of her neck so she could see so she's she's physically holding in both her intestines and her head upright which is horrifying um let's move on she she took a couple of small steps but then she said it was as if someone had taken her feet and was kind of moving them for her And the next thing she knew, she was at the road where she just fell down. She was laying in the middle of the road and saw that a car was actually coming down the road toward her. And as it was coming closer, she realized that Franz and Tienz could be in that car. But at this point, there was nothing she could do.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if they come back, you can't fight. I mean... No. I mean, she had fought so... So hard, but like, you know, (laughs) she can't even hold her head up. Like, what chances does she have? Like, you're really just hoping Exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah, the fight was completely out of her now, so it was just... And you're also
1: hoping that this person doesn't see you and get so horrified that they keep driving because that happens sometimes, too.
0: That's what they did.
1: Oh, I mean that's what they did so i'm so conflicted about this because like i don't know how i would react but like fuck like this person is clinging to life and you you could do something about it and you just keep driving i know it's 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 mind-boggling to me
0: it is it really is um so yeah the car slowed down as it approached her but it sped off and thankfully not much longer after that she saw another car coming down the road so, she, you know, they're coming. 20-year-old Tian Eilard, I believe is how you pronounce his last name? And not to be confused with Tienz. <laughs> what?
1: I was like, you're not, I was like, you're fucking joking. Like, the dude is coming back, but I, I they're <gasps> similar, but not the same.
0: Yes, yeah, Tian is, is the guy who is now going to help her. Tians is the guy that is the monster. So. 20-year-old Tian Eilard was a veterinary technology student studying at the Technological School in Pretoria, I believe, or Technician School in Pretoria. He was on holiday with his friends down in Port Elizabeth, and he said that the first thing he saw when they got out of the car was a person lying in the road with no clothes on, and he immediately ran to her side and covered her with his shirt and he squeezed her hand. She wasn't able to speak, but he looked into her eyes And he noticed that her eyes were extremely bloodshot. And she said, or, and he said that she looked very scared, but, you know, he just kept talking to her and he told her to breathe and he told her that she had nice eyes. And she said she knew he was trying so hard to keep her alive. And she said, quote, typical me, I didn't wanna give up for his sake. You know, as she's laying there, she's having these thoughts where she's like, well, now I gotta hold on for him, you know?
1: It always amazes me how people cling to life, not for their own reasons, but for other people. Yeah, I know. It's, I don't know, it's such a strange but awesome phenomenon.
0: It is. And it's such a reoccurring theme, you know, like there's every story I feel like we talk about has the same kind of thing where they're like, you know, I didn't want my, I didn't want my dad to live with guilt for the rest of his life. I didn't want, you know, I just wanted to live for this person. I don't want anyone else to experience this kind of thing. So I fought for them. You know, it's not for me. It's for them. It's crazy.
1: It's such a Um, selfless instinct.
0: It is. And luckily, one of his friends had a cell phone. Because if we remember, this is in like the early 90s. So, you know, cell phones weren't just like a common thing yet. But they were able to call for emergency services who told them that they had sent an ambulance out. And now all they could do was wait. And actually, 40 minutes passed before the ambulance arrived. But finally, the paramedics arrived and loaded her and Tian into the back of the truck or into the back of the ambulance.
1: 40 minutes.
0: 40 minutes yeah Wow. I mean so I actually in the documentary where Allison was talking it's she said 40 minutes so I'm gonna go with that one but there was another source that I talked about earlier uh that said an hour and 45 minutes which I feel like is not true so So it has to be those are
1: two very different numbers
0: (laughs) very different numbers I'm gonna go with the one that is in Allison's documentary so we're gonna say 40 minutes but still an incredibly long time and like not acceptable oh, <laughs> for yeah. someone who's kidding? laying I mean, in the road dying.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, most people have minutes, not let alone well, like over a half an hour.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And from where they found her, the hospital would have been about a 15-minute drive. So she had to lay in the road waiting for 40 minutes, and then she had an additional 15 minutes before she got to the hospital.
1: Okay, so what the fuck? Like, the nearest hospital's 15 minutes away, and it took them 40 minutes to get there?
0: Exactly. It's like, what, put some pep in Who your step, was sleeping? guys. I uh, don't know.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what can you well, say m- about it? I mean, yeah, yeah, they're going to save her, so.
0: <laughs> exactly, yeah. Actually, Tian noticed that they weren't driving as fast as they could have been, and he asked them if they could speed it up. So he said that it was as if they had already decided that she wasn't going to make it. So they weren't very urgent, oof. at least at least in Tian's perspective. Um,
1: okay, if that is true. That's yeah. That's extremely infuriating. It is. They, that they've is ext- already taken this long to get there? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Those two details, like, kind of, oof. Yeah. But keep
0: going i mean like i'm not saying it's right by any means like 100 speed to the hospital when you have someone in that state but like if you look at someone who whose head is literally hanging off and their intestines are out i'm sure you're like this person's dead if not going to die on the way to the hospital you know
1: yeah well i mean i don't give a f- fuck what no no condition i don't either in, as long as as they have a heartbeat you mm-hmm. should be doing everything that you can so that when you look their family in the eyes and tell them that they're dead you say you can do you did everything that you could and you're not lying
0: i you know don't get I mean? me wrong i 100 like, percent agree with oof. you i agree <laughs> um I'm getting, I'm anyway getting worked up. i know <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get heated over here so let's move on um After arriving at the hospital, it was the first time that Tian had to let go of Allison's hand as they wheeled her off. And from her abduction until now, it had been 90 minutes, which is quick if you think about it. Like from the time that Franz got into her car to the point that they're at now, it was like 90 minutes with 40 minutes, with 40 minutes of waiting for an ambulance in between.
1: Yeah, that's not long.
0: I know. That's what's so scary to me is like 90 minutes later, you could just, your whole life is changed.
1: Yeah. Irreparably just, I don't know, ruined, like not ruined, I guess she comes out on the other side. Right. uh, Well, but you know.
0: But seemingly, seemingly ruined, you know? Yeah. Before anything could even happen, the doctors had to assess Allison's wounds and her anesthetist, Dr. David Common, said that he had seen a lot of severe trauma, but he had never witnessed that amount of brutality before. He arrived into the room and when he first saw Allison, all he saw was the horrific wound around her neck. She had lacerations completely from ear to ear. Her trachea had been cleanly cut through and she was breathing from a gaping hole just above her collarbones. And believe it or not, this part is crazy. As horrific and violent as that was, it shockingly saved her life. So when Franz strangled Allison, because remember he strangled her, she blacked out, she woke up to being stabbed, okay? So when he strangled her, he had crushed her windpipe and he crushed it to the point where she would not have been able to breathe through it again. But when Tian's slashed her throat, he cut open her airway, which made her able to breathe again. No way! Isn't that the most insane thing you've ever heard?
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say because I can't believe it. Like he crushed exactly. her windpipe and then opened it up, and that's what. Yes. So, like, because he was so brutal, he inadvertently saved her life. Yes. Like, what the fuck in the, is that? In the like, most kind of, violent. Yeah.
0: In the most violent way possible. Yes. So I I was absolutely floored when I heard that fact because that that just does not make any sense to me, Mm -hmm. but it it happened. So after he had finished his initial examination of her, the young junior doctor who had admitted um, Allison told Dr. Common that this neck wound wasn't all, and he pulled back the sheet that was draped over her to expose her stomach area. And her intestines were still sitting outside of her body on top of her abdomen. And close inspection of her intestines showed that they had been grossly contaminated with beach sand, lumps of charcoal, and other debris. He then very carefully looked inside of her abdomen and saw the extent of her injuries, and it became evident that it would be very unlikely that she'd ever have children. The blood vessels that supplied blood to her brain had not been severed, but if they had, she would have hemorrhaged and died within four minutes. And here's just a couple of, I guess, descriptions of her wounds or what didn't happen, I guess. None of the nerves in her neck that supply some of the most important organs were damaged. Her esophagus wasn't damaged, but her trachea was obviously severed. She had multiple stab wounds in her shoulders and the chest, but luckily her lungs and heart hadn't been damaged either. And she had multiple stab wounds around her abdomen, but none of them were deep enough to damage her, like, internal organs. And it was also incredible that the incision made that disemboweled her didn't become infected. Like this, that's what I'm saying. Like this entire thing is like the most violent and brutal attack that I've ever heard of in my life. And yet none of these like completely, I don't know, life ending things happened.
1: Wait, so like, if I'm understanding correctly, none of these stab wounds actually punctured any vital organs? Like, no what yeah. the fuck so I she know. was stabbed 37 times uh-huh and her, and her throat
0: was cut 17
1: and nothing important got, got Ex nicked.
0: the only thing that was like really i mean obviously the whole thing is really terrible and awful but like her muscle that held her neck on top of her head like on top right. of her and body her whim,
1: windpipe was crushed but like i mean but you but know, cut I, I, to, I, like, to the point the where she could breathe that, Yeah, of the description that you're giving me, it's like, oh my god, that's a... I know. It's a miracle.
0: I know. Yeah, so Dr. Common suggested to Dr. Dmitry Angelov, who was the general surgeon on call, that they should call in an ENT surgeon to help them with the severed trachea and the muscles in her neck, and then after that, they could move on to her abdomen. But he told Dr. Common that he actually specialized in throat surgery as well. So he's like, no, we're cool, I got it. (laughs) <laughs> like, what? He's like, actually, I was trained as an ENT surgeon, which I don't even know what the fuck an ENT surgeon is, but like, he's like, no, I got it. What? Okay.
1: No big deal. <laughs> yeah.
0: No big deal. Uh, before they began operating, Allison needed to sign a release form, and she did because she was still conscious, and the doctor said when you looked at her signature, you wouldn't even think that a severely injured person could write in such a comprehensible way she also what? wrote down her she also wrote down her mother's phone number are you joking
1: no she signed her own papers
0: and yes <laughs> i know it's just this like disbelief insane. i know
1: how is she how like how is she still conscious how is yeah, she still just, lucid how is I she feel still like, having good handwriting yeah the, why the are big they question. making her sign papers
0: <laughs> exactly well i mean they need to her I guess to release form to do surgery. But um, the big question here is just how. Just how.
1: Okay. I don't know. All right. Here's a question, though. You're mm-hmm. saying, like, you need to sign the release forms for surgery. Why your unconscious? Clearly, clearly going to die if she does not receive the surgery. Right. Why are we. What are we doing here?
0: I mean, like- I'm sure if they if they had to do it and they had no other option, I, and this is me speaking completely from an uneducated standpoint on this, uh, I'm sure maybe they'd do it. But, like, since she was uh awake and lucid enough like they were like well we might as well get this done i, think I don't it's know
1: stupid but like yeah. i mean tons of unconscious people come into the er and then they just send them to the or immediately listen
0: i don't know i'm, just I'm saying, not a like, surgeon there's a
1: there's a you know life-threatening situation we uh provide stabilizing care no matter fucking what
0: yeah well no i, I mean yeah i don't know I'm. that's my answer uh uh-uh. uh But so during her surgery, Dr. Angelov had to meticulously clean Allison's intestines in a saline solution and in some instances even had to use a scrubbing brush to remove debris that was firmly stuck, Uh. which I didn't even know your intestines were strong enough to be to withhold or withheld with no withstand withstand. A scrubbing brush? Yeah, me We too. got there. Uh, here
1: we are now, learning yeah. that. <laughs>
0: exactly. That's not something I really wanted to know, I feel like, but I guess now we know it. Um, anyway, Dr. Common said, quote, I've always thought it a bit of a cop-out to ascribe things that you don't understand to miracles, but these events most certainly have led me out of the strict scientific appreciation to believe that things happen for a purpose, and that's probably a good definition of a miracle. <laughs>
1: yeah no shit
0: (laughs) yeah the very scientific like that's okay we can say miracles happen
1: (laughs) exactly how can you not (laughs) like if this isn't a miracle what the fuck is
0: yeah literally what is So the next morning, there were two police officers that came to the hospital to speak to Allison and her doctors, and they had been informed that there was a brutal rape and attack that had taken place. And these police officers were familiar with 26-year-old Franz de Toy and 19-year-old Tienz Kruger because they were no strangers to violent crime. In February of 1994, Franz surprised a 19-year-old student who was sitting in her car as well, And he had a gun on him this time, and he told her to move over before getting into her driver's seat and drove her to a secluded area and raped the woman. Afterwards, he drove to a cafe with her and bought her food and a rose, and then he drove her to another secluded area and raped her again and drove back to the city and let her go. After a week, she reported the case, and Franz was arrested in March but was released on bail. On December 4th, 1994, Franz and Tienz approached a 21-year-old who was three months pregnant at the time, and they forced her to a secluded area where they both raped her as well, and they threatened to kill her, but thankfully, they let her go, and she immediately reported the two of them, and they were arrested, but were released on their own recogniz- recognizance and ordered to report to court on January 5th. The What prose- in the
1: fuck were they thinking? I don't know i don't know i feel I, like i've said fuck a lot this episode but like
0: i i think rightfully so what else like, do you
1: say in this situation i know they've already so like the first time that they brutally raped a 19 year old girl yeah like let's not just, recap it <laughs> i'm sorry but like yeah. any woman, like what's going on what is going no, on i know
0: and the prosecutor claimed at the, at the time of the second um, rape that he didn't know that Franz had another rape charge pending at the time. And there was a lot of backlash when uh, they were released on their own recognizance because others have claimed that authorities in South Africa didn't take rape cases seriously, especially at that time. And it was only two weeks later that the two men attacked and attempted to murder Allison. And since both women came forward and reported them before this, they decided they needed to kill their next victim, which was Allison. But thankfully, they were not successful.
1: Yeah, seriously, like you didn't know that he had another rape charge?
0: I know. What kind of fucking prosecution
1: is this? Uh, Well, yeah. what are you doing?
0: What kind like, of system is it? That what that's kind of not like, like yeah,
1: you should know the criminal history when something exactly. like this comes up. This should be the first thing that you
0: And how about you don't release them on their own rec- on recognizance or whatever it is? Like, I don't
1: even know what that means, but like So, that means that them, yeah,
0: yeah it, it means that the defendant in a criminal case is, you know, released outside of the, like, custody without necessary, wait, hang on. Recognizance release allows the defendant in a criminal case to fight a criminal charge from outside of custody without the necessity of posting a costly cash bail bond. So I guess they didn't even have to, like, pay bail or something. They just got to yeah, leave <laughs> and report back, like, kind of thing. I don't, it's like, what? Like, why is that even a thing that happened? Like, especially in in that scenario, it just doesn't make any sense.
1: When you're obviously a danger to society, I mean, I guess, you know, you have to do this for everybody if it hasn't been proven yet. But clearly, if you've already done two very violent acts, you're a danger to society. You should be removed. 100%. Yeah, of
0: course. And I feel like in a rape case in general, like, I mean, even if you're not proven guilty yet, like... You, there should be a little bit of extra care taken there, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, we, we're there. on this. <laughs>
1: yeah, we're on our soap.
0: <laughs> we're on, on, on the same page. We, we get it. So when the police arrived at the hospital, they gave Allison a folder and turned the pages one by one. And when they came up to a picture of Franz, she pointed to it. And at this point, Allison couldn't speak because she had a tube in her throat, but she was able to write the name Franz on a piece of paper. And they kept going with the pictures until they came up to a photo of Tien's, and again, she stopped them and pointed and wrote his name. And this was great for the police, obviously. However, later that day, two police constables came back again and explained that they had been in contact with the chief prosecutor who had told them that the prosecution case would be far stronger if Allison could verbalize the names of her two suspects. This horrified Dr. Common because they had just completed her surgeries and the tube in her throat was helping her breathe, but also he was afraid that if he took it out, it would disrupt the trachea suture line and, and jeopardize all the good work they had already done. But when he went to Allison to ask for her opinion, she wrote on a piece of paper, take it out. So <laughs> she's like, we're not fucking around here, take it out.
1: Yeah, I love that energy. Like, yeah, that's so, the way to go but i mean do we really need charity? i don't know. I positively id them and wrote their it's, names down.
0: it's so. 1994 i all bets are off so dr common removed the tube and her first words were that's wonderful <laughs> she was like i guess it felt good to have that taken out she then said my attackers were franz and tien's so she, were, she was able to completely verbalize and confirm that those were her two attackers. And both men were arrested at 5 a.m. on December 19th. After this, Allison was discharged from the ICU and sent to the general surgery ward. And a couple of days later, a few of Allison's work friends were able to come visit her in the hospital. When they got there, they stood at the foot of her bed and quietly cried as they saw how she was. But she, you know, she was laying there with, I guess, with her eyes closed, but she got the feeling that someone was watching her. So she opened her eyes and her two friends were completely shocked when they saw her eyes and that they were completely bloodshot because blood vessels had broken in her eyes during the attack and when she saw their reaction to her appearance she smiled and said don't cry guys look i didn't even crack a nail it's just i feel like it just speaks so much to like who she is as a person because she had you know her nails were still caked with dirt and blood and they were cracked and she was just trying to make them feel better wow so
1: yeah i don't know that's A perfect line yeah and then again Um, you know this is just like trying to make other people feel better trying to make her friends feel better
0: exactly finally she was able to be discharged from the hospital but she had to go home with open wounds because it would be a while until they fully healed She wanted to thank everyone who came to her aid and sent her cards and flowers and good wishes throughout the situation. And for fear of leaving someone out, she described or she decided the best move would to be to put a thank you in the newspaper for everyone to see. And she said quote for fear of omitting any one of you from my heartfelt thanks I've decided to attempt to thank all of you collectively each one who sent flowers gifts cards wishes thoughts prayers and love should know they've brought a smile to my face and warmth to my heart I have life beautiful people and you have my heart which hits you right in the heart
1: (laughs) Um, yeah
0: a little verklempt over there um, How can you not be? No, I, I agree. I'm also a little verklempt. Um Yeah,
1: what a beautiful soul.
0: Yeah, she's just, I, like I said, like, strong is an understatement. Like, she is, I don't even, I can't even put it into words. She had made it out of the hospital, but she still had to go back every single day for Dr. Angelov to treat her injuries, particularly the ones on her abdomen. And every day, he would have to scrape her wounds on her abdomen until they bled so that the new cells would be able to grow there, which I didn't even know was a thing. How agonizing. I know. And she also still had to have plastic surgery. So when she thinks of the word recovery, all she can think of is pain. It was all consuming. She was in pain all day and all night. And it seemed as if it would never go away. And actually, I mean, even to this day, she says, like, she's never been fully pain free, and she still has medical issues. So, you know, it really changed her life, which is so horrible. But, you know, to have still, like, such a positive outlook on things, even after, like, it's just incredible. But she, you know, she still had to go through the court case. And the main police officer on her case was named Melvin Humpel, And Detective Humpel brought Franz into his office. And after he had read him his rights, he told Franz that he was being charged for rape and attempted murder. Franz asked, I said Franz asked, that's, that's not good. All right. Anyway, let's, let's keep going. Uh, Franz asked why attempted murder. And that's when Detective Humpel let him know that Allison was actually still alive. And he said that Franz was so shocked to hear that she was still alive that it looked as if you could knock him over with a feather. He clearly was not banking on that. But Franz said, well, then there's nothing I can hide from you because she'll obviously tell you everything that has happened. And he picked up his hand and pulled a ring off of his finger and said that belongs to Alison. And after examination of this ring, they still, it still had Alison's blood on it
1: wait what was the ring
0: <laughs> it was just i guess one of her rings and it, it still had her blood on it
1: was it like an engagement ring or no
0: just a ring how fucking
1: ballsy are you to walk around with the ring with bloods on it from your victim like you
0: yeah no he's pure evil like there's no understanding there's, like, these there's men no emotion no, no. It's yeah just matter um, of
1: fact conveyance of like what the situation is
0: And Tien's ended up giving investigators the knife that they used to cut Allison's throat, as well as a full confession for the rape that they committed on the pregnant woman only weeks before. Franz had no remorse and even told the detective that they were planning on raping another woman the next day and throwing her off a bridge
1: fucking thank god that they got to him
0: i know but like i i just can't even wrap my head around how you can sit there and be like oh yeah we were gonna do that tomorrow
1: yeah like this. i is... mean it's
0: not it's not gonna make sense to me or really anyone with it should. a sane mind yeah it, it shouldn't but I like it just makes me sick to my stomach um and he's truly pure evil like i i there's no yeah. other way to put it yep Franz and Tienz said that they were going to plead guilty, but officer Melvin's work didn't end there because if they changed their minds, he needed to build a solid case around them. And he processed all the evidence and had all the tests run on the, you know, the evidence and made a whole file to present to the judge just in case. So now back to Allison. For her, the physical recovery was one thing, but her preparation for the trial was also extremely brutal. She had to go through a, uh, a psychological analysis that she said at the time she just wasn't ready for. And she had to have her pubic hairs pulled by different policemen at different times. Like regularly, she'd just be in policemen's office, offices and she'd have to like drop her pants and either have photos taken of her recovery or have her hairs taken or just like she just was i don't even know it's
1: like what prodded to, like a cattle exactly like, yeah but i don't know she's but, just like not I don't, like how do you treat a human being that's been through that in that manner
0: i mean i, I get that and it's like it's horrible they, and she shouldn't have to go through they that they
1: need evidence exactly but multiple times like it should be at most once to completely be doing that over and over again probably in the presence of men like how like do we not get that this is traumatic for her like she's already been through hell and then now you're having to quasi relive it.
0: No, it's true. But I mean they they said that they needed to take photos of her recovery, so that's why she needed to come in all the time and like, you know, I guess take photos. But it do was you need still photos it was... of the
1: recovery or do you just need photos of what happened in the hospital? I think that's what? enough. Don't you like
0: No, I do. I do. And they also said they were gonna plead guilty, but obviously they didn't want even a slight chance that something would go wrong. So I don't know. It's it is it is crazy to think about that she had to go through all that but I I can't sit here and say that I know exactly how everything works. So, and every time she was requested to come into the police station, she would come no questions asked. She was completely prepared to do anything she had to do. She's just incredibly strong. (laughs) Like there's no other way to put it. So she had wounds, like I said earlier, that were not closed. Some of the stab wounds in her stomach needed to heal from the inside out. So they were literally still open for like a long time. And even with that, she still showed up. So this is crazy. This like next part, the laws at the time uh, said that during a lineup or what they called an identification parade, the victim had to go to the perpetrator and physically place a hand on their shoulder to identify them and then stand in that position while a photograph was taken. So that was the law at the time. Okay. Why? Literally why. But Officer Humple decided that it would be better to try and use a one-way glass for Allison to identify Franz and Tien's, which is the norm today, but at the time, it had never been done in South Africa. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Just laughing
1: at how ridiculous that is.
0: No, it's ridiculous. Even though her identification parade was through a one-way glass, she was still petrified to be in the same room as them because... It wasn't the one-way glass you're probably picturing. She was in the same room as them and only standing behind a panel of this one-way glass. So they couldn't physically see her, but they could hear her. And she was in the same room as them for sure. Like she was in the same room. Oh, so it
1: wasn't closed off. No. Could it they was see like
0: I I don't think so, but like it, she was just standing behind like a side panel of like one-way glass that she could look through, so they couldn't see her. But she was physically in the same room as them, like not very far away.
1: Yeah, well, they know she's there.
0: No, exactly. Which is just like such a such a disgusting position to have to put to have to be in. Like that's not okay. But I mean, I guess he was at the time like doing what was best like the fact that the one way glass hadn't been used in South Africa before and like now they used it right. is is a, a step in the right direction but right. it was obviously still flawed and obviously she did correctly identify both of them but you know she was just trying to concentrate and get it right but at the same time she was completely freaking out and just wanted to get out of there which i completely don't blame her for during the investigation and Franz's incarceration incarceration Hello. leading up to the trial he asked to see a pastor to have the demons cast out from his body because he was saying that he was possessed by a demon which was making him rape and attempt to murder women right because at that time i mean i guess satanic panic in at least the united states was i I think during the 70s and we're in the like early 90s but like it kind of traveled to south africa um do you know like the satanic mm. panic no okay but so I, mean,
1: I think i get what the premise is
0: yeah i mean it's pretty self-explanatory but like basically people were kind of blaming like occult things and like satanists and like people were blaming, like, demons and shit, like, for stuff, and people were panicking, and they were like, oh my god, like, we can't... I think there was even a police force that was, like, made in South Africa at the time for specifically occult crimes. So people were really scared of this, like, Satanist, like, demons, like, occult kind of... I'm not explaining this correctly I'll, I'll look into it, and we 'll talk right. about it one day. I mean, I, but
1: no, I get what you're saying. you're making sense for sure. Okay, good.
0: anyway, but so he was claiming to be possessed by a demon. I guess he knew that this was going on, and He's he was like, into I'm, a, it. He's I'm a, full of shit. One, yes, 100,000%. So he asked for uh, to see a pastor so that he could get, like, exorcised, essentially. Um, and they did have to give him a pastor so that they could, quote, conduct an exorcism. But this was a load of bullshit. And the pastor did testify that during the exorcism, he mentioned the two demons, incubus and succubus, and then continued to mix them up, which proved that it was just another ploy for him to get people to believe that it was Satanism that did this crime and not this just man. And that he's not terrible himself. So,
1: isn't that more scary than Satanism?
0: Yes, one hundred percent. But he was trying to blame it. But there's no blame here. It's just you're an asshole. I mean, that's an understatement. (laughs) You're evil. Yeah. What words? (laughs) Exactly. What are words? Before they went to court, Officer Humpel said to Franz and Tienz, "You will see that I'm not going to handcuff you. I'm doing that for a reason. I want you to make my day and run." he said i would have with he's this wait. wait, listen to this he said i would have without batting an eyelid i would have shot them i don't even hunt i don't like hunting so i don't like killing but those two guys i would have shot and every single time they had to appear in court they were never handcuffed and they didn't run but they were never handcuffed by design
1: so. Wow, that's a, I'm sorry, that's a boss move.
0: It is, it is. He's like, please, make my day. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he, he wants them to run. Yes. I can't um, even imagine. How I know. About, shouldn't that be like, that almost seems like that should be the policy. Like, straight <laughs> up. Like. Exactly. Try and run, bitch. We will shoot you.
0: Yes. Um. And during the trial, Franz basically stared down the judge. And the judge said that it was as if Franz was trying to intimidate him. And Franz testified and gave evidence that he was a Satanist. He was still trying to push this, you know, Satanist agenda, but it didn't work. And Allison said that- the judge is
1: ready to shoot him. He's not taking your Satanist bullshit.
0: Literally. Allison said that the toughest part of the trial wasn't reliving what happened to her. She said she was emotionally removed from all of it. She said it almost felt as if she was watching a courtroom TV drama, which she actually really likes. And when someone would say her name, she would kind of be surprised and have to remind herself that this was actually all about her. Um, wow. I know. Wow. She was completely dissociated. Like, she's like, nope, I'm not going to think about that. And she would also sit with her mother and they'd keep a notebook and they would write little notes to each other, just random things that weren't even about the trial. Just like, what are we going to do for lunch? Or, you know, does that guy know what he's talking about? Like, I guess that's pertaining to the trial, but you know what I mean? Just like little notes right. back and forth the tough part for her was really the media attention but she said at least she had the trial which i mean is something to you know be said because a lot of rape cases don't even make it that far so she was grateful for that at least you know Um, it's
1: strange that she's like looking forward to the trial she's like at least i have the trial well, she wasn't I looking
0: just, forward to it, but I, she was she was grateful that it was happening.
1: Right, okay, yeah, that's yeah. a wrong read by me. But, you know, I don't know, I can't wrap my head around that.
0: I mean, I can. I don't know. I, I feel like rape cases, like, even today, aren't handled the way they should. And, like, right. especially in 94, like, you know, a lot of times either they just wouldn't believe you or they wouldn't care or nothing would happen or they'd be released on their own recognizance. You know what I mean? Like, nobody... Yeah, you're right nobody cared so like she's like at least this is happening and it, and it's so tragic and terrible that like it had to become so violent and brutal for it to be treated as such but it that's you know she's she's like at yeah, least there's that
1: she's glad he's going away it, yeah
0: both of them exactly And when sentencing them, Judge Chris Jansen said he had to take into consideration that one of them had committed two previous rapes and the other had committed one, but he also said that he physically wrote out their sentencing, that way the authorities could see and understand that they are a huge threat to society and he never wanted them to be released from prison again. And him writing out the sentence was a big deal because it was something that had never been done and he hadn't done it previous and he hadn't done it after that as well. So he's like, this is serious i like because the death penalty at the time in south africa was considered unconstitutional but the judge said had it been an option at the time he would have seriously considered it and probably would have imposed it and on august 7th 1995 franz was sentenced to three life terms with no possibility of parole and tn's was sentenced to one life term and 25 years with no possibility of parole so that's that on that good yeah Allison said their sentencing wasn't a celebration because they still took something from her that she'd never get back. And she said there isn't a quote, I'm healed. It's what others want for her and it's what she wants for herself, but that's just not how it works. And she said with time, things get easier and they have less of a hold on her life, but it will never go away. And it's just something that she's had to learn how to deal with. So, she moved back in with her mother, which was good for both of them because her mother was single and needed to, needed and wanted to look after her at the time. And it was good for Allison because she needed help and she got that. So that's good. And in time, her wounds did heal, but she did fall into a very deep depression. And she said her depression was just not caring, which was hard for her since she had always been such a responsible person. She wouldn't go into work and sometimes she would even call she wouldn't even call ahead of time to let them know she didn't care about how she looked at, looked after herself and she just blamed franz and tiens for how she was feeling but after some time she came to the realization that in that moment she had to choose between life and death as she did before and she chose life and that was the real turning point for her because she kind of had to do that again And she realized that she was giving Franz and Tien's power over her life, and she needed to take that back. And at that time, actually, she got an invitation from the Rotary Club to come and share her story with them. So at at the same time that she's like kind of deciding between if she wants to choose her life again, Or, you know, fall into this deep depression even further, she got the invitation from the Rotary Club to come and share her story. And she always hated giving speeches, but she didn't want to disappoint the people who had been so supportive of her in the first place, and so she pulled herself out of bed and she went which is again like she's she's like thinking of other people which i mean See, it's yeah. it's good it's good for her because you know it's helping her come out of this depression but like her reasoning for going is because these people supported her in the, like before and she felt like she owed it to them which she didn't but i mean i'm glad she went through with it but it's it's just such an right. interesting thought process
1: exactly
0: And to her surprise, sharing her story helped her to start to heal. So she decided that she wanted to do it again, and she kept speaking and telling her story, and she hasn't stopped. Public speaking gave her a purpose, and she traveled all over the world to, like, so many countries and met incredible people and helped so many people along the way. And after many of her speeches, people who had been also raped would confide in Allison. And she stresses the importance of confiding in someone if that has happened to you. Because if you keep something like that to yourself, it'll demand your attention sooner or later. So it's always better to confide in someone and not have to battle that alone.
1: Right. And I can't imagine, like, especially if you can confide in somebody who's also experienced it. It's so, I don't know, validating and just like, you know, somebody else has gone through this. It's not just me. I'm not a freak.
0: Definitely. But a few years ago, a political decision made in 2012 said that all prisoners who were sentenced prior to October 2004 had become eligible for parole, which meant that (laughs) even though the judge included that note of sentencing, it might mean that Franz and Tienz would be eligible for parole. And this obviously shook Allison and her family and her friends to the core, and she was petrified that they would be let out. Allison actually received an email from a woman in America saying that her daughter was Franz's fiance and was having a relationship with him while he was in prison. And she asked Allison to help her. I don't know in what way she asked Allison to help her, but she was like giving her this information. And she told him that, or she told Allison that Franz had a full Facebook account that he had access to and he was using it to communicate with this woman. And Allison let the police know about this because she figured they didn't know. And she sent them an email about this and she asked them to please never tell him that I am the one that gave you this information. And she later found out that the police physically printed out that email from Allison and gave it to Franz himself,
1: what, which makes me what like... went through your head? What possessed you to think that that was the right course of action? Mm-hmm. Why that did you do that? That makes me
0: extremely angry. You like, should extre- be fired. Y- yes. You like, like be No fired. doubt. That's it, gross it's... misconduct. Mm-hmm it's disgusting that's so, disgusting
1: and then the other part of this is so this woman that he's having a like i don't know little uh what do you what the fuck do you call it the, they're fiances uh, they're like, clearly like, a pen like pal relationship and fiance like we see they're having a full internet rela- relationship yeah and this woman is messaging her to help get franz out is that I, what i'm understanding
0: I'm unsure if if it was, like, to help him get out or if it was, like... Okay, so it's not the fiancé of Franz that emailed Allison. It's the mother of the woman who's in the relationship with Franz. Okay. Not that that makes a difference, but... I, I don't know. But anyway, she, she let the authorities know, and the main point of this story is they just gave it to Franz, which is disgusting. It made me extremely mad, and I knew it would also, make you extremely mad. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I'm mad. I know. I, I, I want to know the the contents of that communication, because if this woman is asking her to help release her attacker... Yeah. Like, go fuck yourself. Well, shit and die.
0: Literally. Um, All right. Well, we're we're close. So let's let's keep going. And in 2015, they did become eligible for parole. And Allison had to go again and speak about why they shouldn't be let out. And as far as I know, and as as far as the internet is telling me, they have not been let out. And hopefully they never will be and, and nothing has been reported on them for quite a few years at this point but the fact that that even was something that she had to deal with again is like so so it's disappointing so <laughs> um yeah i mean but
1: it's a tough thing because you know i don't know what the political situation is what year did you say that this ruling mm-hmm. came down that they had to retry everyone it was it 2012
0: yeah it, the 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 legislation or whatever was changed in 2012 or the something was passed but it was it said that anyone sentence or anyone's uh, yeah sentence before 2004 would be eligible for parole yeah. or I potentially mean, it's, it's, eligible
1: it's tough especially in south africa because they i don't know their history of apartheid's like like more recent than i don't, I don't know you even realized i told you today but I mean, I I don't know why that law was passed. I just wonder if that had something to do with it. And maybe, you know, it like had the collateral damage of having her like retestify.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there was people that it was good for. But right. Allison just wasn't one of those people.
1: Yeah. Um, Clearly not the right case.
0: No, of course not. And so, like I said earlier, Allison's documentary called Allison is on Amazon Prime, and it is free, um, at least, I don't know if it's different in different countries, but at least in the United States, it's free on Amazon Prime. Um, So go watch it. But, and okay, so Franz offered to do an interview for this film, but he asked in exchange... For a signed letter of forgiveness from Allison, he also <laughs> wanted yeah, no, listen. Listen to this. He wanted backdated profit shares from Allison's book and motivational speeches. And because he believes that what he did to Allison is the only reason for her success story, so that's what he said. Wow. I mean, they said, fuck you, and declined, obviously. Uh, but that the fact that that was even something that came out of his mouth and <laughs> Allison had to know about is disgusting. Um, oh, God. Okay.
1: So, yeah. Yeah, the gall. The it's gall literally. he has to, to, exactly. t- to take credit for that. Are you fucking I know. kidding me? That's the I reason know. you're behind bars. Can we institute the death penalty for, like, this one man? Like
0: Just for this one time, please? Um, like, no, he deserves it.
1: If there is ever an exception, it's It's him. for him.
0: Yeah, Um,
1: and honestly, you can cut this out if you want, but he is a complete man cunt, (laughs) and I don't give a fuck. Like this man deserves the worst of words, and Mm -hmm. they don't even begin to explain who he is. That's what you say after all that. I know. Even Um, if you don't say that, still
0: right. A lot of people have asked Allison if she hates men because of what happened to her, Um, but she's no. Who could blame her, honestly? But she said no to that. The two men who attacked her that night were obviously monsters, but the people who came to her aid that night were also men. And she said that she's a lot more aware of her surroundings, but she's not you know blaming just the blanket statement of men she's blaming the two monsters you know because Tian held her hand until she got to the hospital and then her doctors were men and you know she's she's like I'm not gonna say that which is yeah. incredibly strong like that's incredible yeah. as well I don't know but that night had greatly impacted Tian's life the man who held her hand and her, her story is what inspired him to become a doctor and Allison said that her story is full of miracles but her favorite of all was the birth of her two sons. Doctors believe that she wouldn't have been able to have children, but she had two healthy boys. And actually, Tian assisted in the delivery of her second son.
1: No shit. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. She inspired him to become a doctor, and she had two sons, despite what the doctor said. That's a oh my yeah. god.
0: And he he assisted. That's all. Which is incredible. I know. Wow. It just, yeah. And she had I two know.
1: two beautiful kids. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. And here's just, just to wrap things up. Here are two quotes from her that I really liked. The first one is feel the fear, but do it anyway, which I really liked. And then the next one is remind yourself that you do not have to take responsibility for what others do. Life is not a collection of what happens to you, but of how you've responded to what has happened to you. So that is the story of Alison Botha.
1: I want that first quote framed. Yeah. Right. That's fantastic.
0: Feel the fear, but do it anyway.
1: I don't even want to do our good things. You want to end on that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, I mean, we can,
1: but shouldn't we have a palate cleanser? I guess so, but I'm just saying, what a quote to end it on. The juxtaposition here. Um, My good thing this week is that we're going up north with our friends, and I don't know if I stole it from you, but that is the good thing for me.
0: Yeah, you did. We can keep this one short. That's also my good thing. I'm very excited to see my friends. And, uh... Yeah, I I don't know, guys. Thank you so much for listening and holding in there for this story. I know it was intense, but it's important to talk about. If you'd like to look at the photos that we post of all the cases we talk about, follow us on Instagram at nottoday_podcast. underscore podcast. Um, if you or someone you know has a story of their own survival or a story you'd like to suggest, send us an email at nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that I just started posting on again because I'm no longer being a delinquent about it. Uh, not, not today podcast. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.